Hi, Oxygen Starved listeners. Welcome to episode four of our podcast. Just a quick show note before the podcast episode starts. In this episode, you'll hear Stacy and I chatting about the food and wine festival here in Mammoth over the summer. And we talked about um, Mammoth Brewing and Sean Turner being there. And we we uh, said that he would be coming up in this episode, but in actuality, we interviewed him in the previous episode three, which you've probably, hopefully, already heard. Thank you. Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation at 11,000 feet. With your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacy Adler of the Mono County Office of Education and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library. Welcome to the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you adventures, books, and conversations, your ABCs from 11,000 feet. I'm Stacy. I'm Christopher. And with us, as always, is producer Doug. Good Hi, morning. Doug. Hello, hello. So, Christopher, what did you do over the weekend? Well, you know, had an adventure, Stacy. Let's start with an adventure, Let's right? Let's start <laughs> with an adventure. Um, yeah, you know, we got kayaks and because everyone around here has kayaks on the top of their cars. It's yes. really like being the only car without a kayak rack on top. It's like it, being the only people without a dog. Exactly. So uh, luckily we got the dogs, but we still had to get the kayaks. <laughs> so uh, yeah, we got kayaks and it was, you know, a really hot weekend. So we yes. picked a lake and we, which actually, lake? we picked South Lake, which okay. is up in the Indian National Forest. It's at 9,700 feet, if you're curious, um, which is a lot cooler than yes. down where it was hotter. And we had the best time going awesome. out on this lake. There were fishermen. There was a couple of other kayakers. But you're just up there in nature and surrounded by trees and mountains and awesome awesomeness. So fun. Did you, when I am on the lake, because I paddleboard, stand up right. paddleboard, when I'm on the lake and I see fishermen mm-hmm. with their lines out, I always get nervous that mm-hmm. I'm going to like paddle over. Were you nervous at all that you were going to paddle over their completely, line? <laughs> completely. Like, you know, I don't want to like get in the fisherman's way, right? You right. know, so uh, we we steered very clear of the shore until we got to the point of the lake where it wasn't easily accessible by foot. So um, then we could kind of go into the shoreline, look at the waterfalls that were falling into the lake, that sort of thing. Um, And we saw a couple paddle boarders on paddle boarders Mm -hmm. on the way back. And I have to tell you, that looks like, that looks intimidating. Like being balanced on water seems really hard. It's, it, 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 you get used to it. You know, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, my daughter really wants us to do stand up paddleboard yoga. Oh, man. And I don't know if I'm ready for that yet, <laughs> but um, it's just so much fun. And, and it's, you have, you do have to be really mindful of what you're doing yeah. if you don't want to fall in. Some exactly. days it's so hot, you do want to, you fall do want to fall in. But. Well, speaking of mindful, the one thing coming out of that, and I, I, you know, put on sunscreen before we went because it was like Always. a beautifully clear summer day. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you don't cover yourself completely, that two square inches of exposed skin just below the knee, man, it's all like beet red. Did today. you get sunburned? Got a little sunburn. Does it hurt? 
Just a little itchy, yeah. Yeah. What'd you do this weekend? Well, we we hiked up the Sherwin Lake Trail, which is a fairly shorter, easier trail. Um, lots of switchbacks. Um, mm-hmm. Beautiful. Get to a beautiful lake, mm-hmm. which is so full. I've never seen Sherwin Lake so full. Really? For our listeners, we'll put a link to the Sherwin Lake Trail in our show notes so you can see what I'm talking about. But um, yeah, so we hiked up that trail and we too were, we put on sunscreen, but not enough. <laughs> Didn't reapply. <laughs> Was the middle of the day. Right. And the Sherwin Trail goes up to about about 9,000 feet also. Yeah. So, you know, when you're when you're at elevation, you really need to... Think about the fact that you're that much closer to the sun. It really does make a difference. <laughs> it does, right? Yeah. There's less like haze and stuff to yes. disseminate anything that could burn the skin. So I too got a sunburn, <laughs> and it's it's still painful, even though this was on. We're this is Wednesday. What we're recording, right. and This was on Saturday, but. It's my own fault. <laughs> but we should tell our listeners about the adventure we had together Yeah, when we went to the Mammoth Food and Wine Festival. Oh my gosh. I'm still like enjoying that just in memory. Total. It was so much fun. Yeah. It really was. It's so this is the Mammoth Lakes Foundation that was mm-hmm. started by Dave McCoy, the legend Dave McCoy. Who started Mammoth Mountain started, Ski Area. Yes, he did. And he is still with us. He's about 103 years old. Awesome. And he's amazing. So he started the Mammoth Lakes Foundation to help promote arts in the community and um community college education. Awesome. So Saracoso Community College was largely started by Dave McCoy and Roma, his wife. Up here in Mammoth. Well, there's a, there's a campus in Bishop also, oh, but right. the Mammoth campus. So that was all pretty much endowed by the McCoys. That's amazing. Because yeah. there, there is, if I'm correct, there is not another uh, campus of higher education anywhere in Mono County. That's correct. It is, right. it is the only one. And it's you have to travel if you don't go to Inyo County to Saracosa, you right. have to travel a very long distance right. to find another That's institution. Awesome. So this foundation supports that. Yes, it does. And so this was this the Food and Wine Festival is their big fundraiser. It's four days of merriment and mayhem and <laughs> wine tasting wine and food tasting. tasting. Yeah, and they have seminars from yeah. the different wineries and the different chefs that are there. So. There had to be about at least 20 different wineries represented. Yeah. Um, Eberly was there, St. Supery, the girls in the vineyard, A to Z Wine Works. Just all from all over the state. And, all over. And local breweries and local yes. restaurants, right? Yes, absolutely. So Mammoth Brewing Company was there, and we're mm-hmm. going to hear from their president in a, a little later in the show. Sean. Sean, Sean Turner. Yeah. Yes. So... They were there, and then we had a bunch of local eateries represented as well. So Samurai, The Warming Hut, Blue. It was awesome. It was great. I just, you know, what I loved about that event, apart from hanging out with Stacy and her husband, um, was just hanging out with all the locals and meeting more locals. Everyone seemed to be out that night. Yeah, it was. it is a very well-attended fundraiser at event, I guess. And you get to get dressed up a little bit and you don't, this is not a town for dressing up. It's not a black tie town. It's not a black tie town at all. I don't complain about that. <laughs> no, you know, I don't either, but every <laughs> once in a while it's fun to, 
you know, clean get up. to clean up and, you know, put on a dress and heels mm-hmm. and, you know, go out and see all the people that you don't get to see all the time. So it was, it was a ton of fun. And yeah. we will post a link to the Mammoth Food and Wine Festival in the show notes so you can see all the ven- the wineries and eateries that participated and they already have the dates for next year. That's awesome. Well, I'm definitely going back because the food was awesome. I loved tasting food from all the different restaurants. And then of course, I'm not a wine expert. We mostly buy wine by the label. Right. Yeah. (laughs) But um, I learned some stuff and and Mm -hmm. there was some really tasty wine that night as well. As well as as breweries. There was beer there too. Yeah. And sake. I mean there Mm -hmm. was there it was a very diverse palette experience now can you do this can you say that i think a diverse diverse palette yeah i I don't know palatially diverse we're we're gonna make it a thing (laughs) (laughs) um so one last question about this stacy did you did you bid on something and did you win i did well we bid we got into a bidding war for this huge like magnum of of wine and yeah. we we let that one go. Oh, okay. So someone else is enjoying that. But we did win um, the basket of goodies that the um, Mammoth Arts Council had donated. Awesome. And that was a lot of fun. Yeah. It's always fun when you win something. <laughs> and it goes to a good cause. Yeah, so. it does. Well, I certainly enjoyed it. Thank you for inviting me to join you guys. Thank and, you. We um, had so much fun with it. you and Wills and hope to do it again next year. Absolutely. All right. Stay tuned. Welcome back, Oxygen Starved listeners. We're down to the second segment of our episode today, the book segment from Adventure Books and Reading. You know, Stacy, one of my favorite parts of literature are children's and young adult books. Um, not just because, like you and like Doug and everyone else we know, we grew up reading them, yep. but because they become so creative and, and more sophisticated in recent years, the the publishing and the writing of them than ever before. I'm not a parent. Um, I don't have kids. I'm not a children's librarian, but I still love this as a genre. And so I love talking about it. The other thing um, is, you know, through the generous support of our local friends foundation here in Mammoth Lakes, we got a sizable donation to buy hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of new children's middle school and young adult books for the Mammoth Lakes Mm, collection. That's so awesome. It was Terrific. And it was just in time for summer reading and for school to start. A lot of fresh titles there for kids and their parents to discover and to read and to talk about, which always excites me. Yeah. That's, it's great when families read together and the parents can get as, as much enjoyment out of it as the kids do. Absolutely. And it's not just because, you know, being a librarian or an educator, we know the value of reading when you're young. It's because kids who read enjoy reading and you want to foster enjoyment. Right. And they do become lifelong readers, which is so important. They do. Um, so we picked a few titles today to talk about. I'm going to talk about some newer titles that just entered the collection that the friends supported. And um, I'm going to quickly move through three of them. 
And I'm going to start with uh, a young adult title or kind of an upper middle school title that really stood out to me. Uh, it's called Finding Wonders, Three Girls Who Changed Science by Janine Atkins. And the reason this book stuck out to me is that she profiles three young women in the 1600s, the 1700s, and the 1800s who mm-hmm. each... Yeah, who each made a, a scientific discovery of some sort. Wow. I know, it's amazing. And um, what is other, also unique about this book, which was really well-reviewed, got a lot of positive mm-hmm. reviews in, in the literature, in library world, and in bookstore world, is that it's written in poems. Oh, Wow. Which is unique, right? Very unique. It's, it's much more sophisticated than anything I read. First of all, there weren't science books about young women, women. when I was this age, right. and um, nothing written certainly in poem form. Right. So it's, it's act- not a genre that's very widely published. No. Especially for young adults. <laughs> so I thought that was creative and unique. And again, it got it, it really well reviewed. Um, the other thing I wanted to say about it, like, so I'll put. The three young women are Maria Marion, who helped discover how caterpillars become moths or butterflies in the 1600s. She also studied other insects. Mary Anning, who helped her father collect sea creatures from cliffs, like fossils, in the early 1800s. And then also in the 1800s, Maria Mitchell, whose father was a map maker, and she discovered a comet in the early 1800s. These are all young women. And the thing that also links them is they had very supportive fathers Mm. who understood that just because they were young girls didn't mean they couldn't learn and couldn't contribute. So this is an amazing book. I encourage people to come into the library and look for it. It's called Finding Wonders by Janine Atkins. The second book that I wanted to talk about, just to shift gears, is a picture book. So I love picture books. And for those of you who don't quite know what I'm talking about, picture books are those kind of oversized books, usually for younger kids, like age two to six, seven or so. Um, They generally have a very short page count, like 32 pages is a standard picture book page. And they also have limited vocabulary. So they're the books that you can more easily read with your kid in bed at night or over cereal in the morning or on the couch in the afternoon, you know, depending on how avid a reader your kid is. And the, it'll hold the child's attention, you know, a Absolutely. two-year-old's attention. Yeah, because they're generally very well illustrated. And often picture books have um, someone who writes the text, the quote-unquote author, and then someone else who will do the illustration. So often it's a team effort. So the two books that I'm bringing up today are both team efforts. The first one is called How to Give a Cat a Bath by Nicola Winstanley and John Martz. What I love about this picture book, it's really simple and it's really funny. So if you know anything about me and my reading habits, I love funny, which again, I think is why I like children's literature so much. So it has a really easy word count, really clear illustrations. um, So really great for younger readers. And if I try to describe it in detail, I would give away the funny bits, but um, Mm -hmm. it is about how to give your cat a bath. And um, what kids will appreciate, you know, is just the funniness, right? Because 
how do you give a cat a bath? They get pretty silly. <laughs> Their steps get pretty silly. Yeah. And the adults who are reading it with the kids will appreciate that um, the process involves numerous cookie breaks. <laughs> right? So, um, which any impossible tasks. You needs. have to have a cookie break. You have to have a yes. cookie break. But the words are really simple so the kids can pick them up fairly quickly, especially if they're learning sight words or what have you. And this is a book where in no time flat, the kid could be reading the book to you. Right, exactly. And then the the third book that I wanted to talk about is also a children's picture book that came out earlier this year. And uh, my staff have heard me talk about this book multiple times because I just, I, the first time I picked it off the shelf at the Benton Library one afternoon, I laughed out loud reading this book, um, which, you know, I'm not uh, vain. People see me read laughing out loud at books all the time. It's a good thing. This one's called The Good Egg by Jory John and Pete Oswald. They are the creators of a book that came out a couple years ago called The Bad Seed. So, they, they're so this of, is a series, sort of? of? They're <laughs> on a roll right now with different different food bits, basically. There's the bad seed, this is the good egg, and then they have the cool bean coming out later this year. Again, you know, I love really good picture books. This one fits the bill. And just to describe this one a little bit, it, it's a little bit more wordy than the last one, and the illustrations are a little bit more sophisticated, but really, really well done. The blurb of the book, I'll just read it out loud to you real quickly, just the first bit. It's called Meet the Good Egg. He's a very good egg indeed. But trying to be so good is hard when everyone else is plain old rotten. As the other eggs in the dozen behave badly, the good egg starts to crack from all the pressure of feeling like he has to be perfect. So mm, again... There's a message here. There's a message here. And talking about um, a book that appeals to both the parent who is reading it with the child and the child themselves... This one definitely has a message that can reach the parent as well. It is really, really funny. The illustrations yeah. are hilarious. And often the illustrations will appeal more to the parent than the yes. kids. There's a point where the egg goes to a spa and, and he's sitting there <laughs> with a towel around his head and cucumbers on his eyes. Three-year-olds may it. have to learn what that means, but right. any parent reading that is going to like, man, I could be in a spa right now. Absolutely. And it's great to have books that parents can enjoy on a different level. Right. And I think that kind of goes along with the one of the books that I picked this for this discussion. And, which is? Which is Doobie Doobie Moo uh, <laughs> by Doreen Cronin and Betsy Lewin. And they are also the authors and illustrators of Click Clack Moo, Cows right. Let Type, and Duck for President. So, which a lot of our parents should recognize. Yes, exactly. So those are they're extremely popular books, but extremely funny. Parents will definitely get a kick out of the whole this whole series mm -hmm. so farmer brown has all of these animals on his farm and they at night do their own thing so in doobie doobie moo they're going to the county fair and they're entering the talent show unbeknownst to farmer brown <laughs> and they my favorite character in these books is the duck why the duck is completely subversive and tends to <laughs> tends to lead the animals into all of these shenanigans. He's kind of the mastermind of the whole thing. So he takes charge and a lot of really good picture books kind of have a subversive element, right? There's a little bit in the good egg as well. Absolutely. So it's there is definitely a sarcastic 
kind of tone mm-hmm. that a, an adult will pick up, but a child will just see the the joy and the silliness when the pigs are doing an interpretive dance. You know, the <laughs> the absurdity of that will really appeal to children. And and like you mentioned, the you know, it's short words on a page and you know, short amount of words on a page and easy to read and it's just enjoyable from the beginning to the end. And and if you haven't seen Duck for President, if you if yeah. re- listeners haven't read Duck for President, that's another hysteric. It's hysterical. Uh, yeah, I, it's a very popular book. I too laugh out loud when I read these books. <laughs> but the other book that I chose is a little is a much different. It's a much older book. It was published in 1940 originally. Right. Um, it's called Caps for Sale. Yeah. So many of our listeners might have read this when they were kids and mm-hmm. maybe read it to their kids. Um, when I told my little daughter that I was going to share this book today, she was all excited. I love that book. Sure. You know, so it's definitely my grandfather read it to me and you know, I've read it to my kids and I even have used that book for teaching. Yeah. Um, Caps for Sale has the um, quality of being repetitive. Mm-hmm. So that's a peddler and he's out peddling his caps and he checks his red caps and his gray caps and his black caps and it goes on and on. Right. And that whole thing is repeated time and time again throughout the book. So for new readers... right. When they get that pattern, they can, quote unquote, read along, even if they don't really know how to decode yet. Yeah. So from a teaching standpoint, it's it's a great book to use. And, and it's funny. It's funny as well. Again, I'm not going to give away the plot. <laughs> so. But you bring up a really good point, Stacey, that um, really good children's books uh, transcend generations, yep. really. This book was published in 1940, and it's not uncommon to see books published from the 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s still in print and being sold and read today because parents and grandparents grew up loving them and they could not wait to share them with their own kids. Absolutely. And that was so much the reason for so many books that I shared with my kids right. was that, that I loved them as a child. And, right. Um, I, that's the one thing children's books really do resonate time and time again. And they work. Yep. Caps for sale. I remember that being in the elementary school library when I was growing up. And it's, you know, it's funny how you, it's often a conversation point when you meet people and you talk about what they're reading in libraries and stuff. Very often you can connect over, oh yeah, we both read Caps for Sale when we were kids. Right, you know? exactly. Yes. Or Make Way true. for Ducklings or Harold oh. and the Purple Crayon or oh, oh, Mr. Popper's Penguins. all these books that I loved. I almost chose Corduroy was another oh, book right, that right, I, right. I almost chose to talk about today. And I, I'm sad to say that um, the author of Caps for Sale, Sphere. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the last name. It begins with an S. We'll put it in the show notes. But it's a long Russian name. And my grandfather would be turning in his grave knowing that I can't pronounce it. But, um, you know, we'll we'll put it in the show notes. But check it out. And you'll be able to find it. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, again, just encourage our listeners to... Uh, look beyond what you normally read sometimes. I often will take a break with a kid's book just because it, it, I think we had talked about palate cleansing in a previous conversation. It's like, 
it just clears the mind a little it bit. It does and gives you a little bit of space to think about things in a different way. And they're very short yeah. and often surprisingly sophisticated. So yeah, yeah, enjoy. Check out the children's section of your libraries. Yes, exactly. Thank you for that plug. Of course. <laughs> We're going to take a breath and we'll be right back. You're dialed in to Oxygen Starve, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversation from 11,000 feet. Originating from the slopes of Mammoth Mountain in Mono County, California, you can find us at SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us at OxygenStarvedPodcast.com. Just make sure you find us. Welcome back. We're now at the part of our podcast where we have a conversation, the C part of our podcast. And today we have with us Carol Lester, longtime Mono County local, and has a wonderful story to share with us. We're so happy that you're here today. Thank you. Hi, Carol. And and uh, I should say, uh, Carol's a librarian with the June Lake Branch Library. Being the county library director, I love um, having my colleagues, my peeps with me. And also, Carol has a great story to tell um, that I think is just a fascinating window into the world of the Eastern Sierra. I'll also point out, before we get into it, we were recording this at the Crowley Lake Library. We're doing a little bit of remote recording here today. So it may sound a a little bit different than the other two segments today, but back to you, Stace. Well, we're we're so happy to have you with us today, Carol. Thank you. So can you tell us what was the adventure that brought you to Mono County? Yep. I was working down in Joshua Tree at an outdoor education program that brought kids from Los Angeles to do um, week-long backpack trips, but we couldn't um, work all winter down there. It would get too cold. So in the winters, I would come up here and stay with my sister Jane, who's my twin sister who lives here in Crowley, and I would stay with her in her tiny studio apartment, and that is when I learned to ski, to cross-country ski, and (laughs) was very much enamored of skiing and snow and the mountains. And so as time went on, I spent more and more time up here. I was still traveling and doing different jobs and doing some overseas work as well. But in between, I would always come back here and eventually it just led to more and more full-time. So So you are having adventures to begin with. Joshua Tree is, just for our listeners who may not be familiar with it, it's it's high desert in lower California? Yep, yep. Yeah, about two hours outside of L.A., Yeah, something like that. And it seems to be more and more popular with young people and outside people, outside people, people who like to do things outside, outside, um, more and more of these in recent years, right? Yes, that's part of why I sort of ended up staying up here more, because it it has gotten really crowded down there. And, I mean, that's awesome, but people are almost loving it to death. (laughs) <laughs> Which is a whole nother podcast. <laughs> it is a whole nother podcast. Um, so, so you are definitely a mountain person. Now. Yes, I am a mountain person. I like the water. I like the mountains. And I mean, once I got to the Eastern Sierra, there was no leaving, except for brief, <laughs> brief stints. But there was no leaving big time. That seems to be a theme of people uh, meeting yeah. up here. You know, once the mountains have you, they don't let you go. Right? Exactly. Yeah. And so Christopher mentioned you are the June Lake Librarian. Tell us a little bit about that library and what it's like to be in June Lake 365 days a year. Yeah, so June Lake is awesome. I've been the librarian there since 2015, I think, 16 maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, And prior to that, I drove the bookmobile, so I was pretty familiar with the county, and I knew how Mm -hmm. beautiful June Lake was, and it's been great. I love the June Lake Library. absolutely love the June Lake Library. 
So just to describe the view from there, you're sitting right on Gull Lake and looking straight up at Carson Peak with the snowy mountains. And it's absolutely gorgeous and somewhat mesmerizing some days. <laughs> so, But the community there is also really, really welcoming and have really been amazing. Um, I've really enjoyed getting to know the locals who are very eclectic readers and um, support the library in many different ways. Right. So that's great. Um, and in the summer, we get the, all the second homeowners and the campers and Pretty much everybody who comes in June Lake is happy. And so when they come in the library, they're happy too. So it's really a great, <laughs> great place to work. You know, I've heard one of the June Lake friends of the library members told me, or maybe you told me this, Carol, that probably two-thirds of the homes in June Lake are second homeowners. Mm -hmm. So it really is like a small core community year-round. And then these people who just love spending time in the outdoors in the Eastern mm -hmm. Sierra come up in certain times of year, right? Yeah, exactly. So just to give a plug for my friends at the library, because they're wonderful, yeah. they are all second homeowners who have been living here, you know, on and off for 40, 50 years coming wow. up and know the place like way better than I do and have told me a lot about <laughs> it, but have also been extremely supportive of the library. So I'm very, I'm so lucky to have such a great friends at the library and so many people contribute to the library. But yeah, people have been coming up to June Lake for 100 years. Like Silver Lake Resort is 100 years old on the backside of the loop there. Mm -hmm. um, and there's many old cabins. A lot of Hollywood people came up over the years and stayed there mm -hmm. um, because it's so gorgeous. Yeah, so when you talk amazing. about the loop, what how, about how many lakes are, exist around around the loop? Mm, four? What is Silver? You still go back um, from Grant Lake, which is okay. a dammed lake, and then keep going to Silver Lake, which is where the old, old resort is and definitely worth a visit. And then you're going to come around the backside by the waterfall and up around Gull Lake and June Lake. Okay. Yeah. Is that not an amazing description? It's, That's worth yes. pulling off the highway and doing a, what is Absolutely. It, a 10, 15 mile loop. Yeah. Yep. For that. You know, when I moved back to the area last fall, my partner who had never lived in the Eastern Sierra, we had driven across the country. This was the fifth day in the car, straight line, getting here as quickly as possible. But we pulled off there because it was fall. It was leaf peeping season. And I was like, you have to see this. And that was just one of the most magical moments on that entire drive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Can you describe what really quickly what it was like this winter? Because this winter was kind of <laughs> odd, right? Yeah. So, the, so a few of the winters have been challenging since I worked there. <laughs> but this winter, there was lots of snow, which I, I totally love. I mean, mm -hmm. I love it when it just storms and storms. It does make the drive a little challenging, but and it is a little windy. Yeah. But it's yeah. also just magical. It's just magical. It's beautiful. And there's only a couple times that I really had any major trouble getting home but um, mm -hmm. driving slow is the answer right. it takes me sometimes over an <laughs> yeah. hour to get to work yeah. but um, the slow driving is the is great but the snow is just you know when it clears up and we're lucky in eastern Sierra that storms don't last that long and you know after a couple of days you've got the beautiful blue sky and this like totally magical oh. snow the snow is like sparkly yes and, yeah so yeah. absolutely great and the ski great. resort is moving there's a and ski the, resort at June. and the ski yeah. resort then is really happy everybody's really happy there so yeah. it does slow down my traffic slows down in the winter in the library which mm -hmm. is kind of nice it gives me a chance to do projects that mm -hmm. I can't get to in the um, summer, so it's actually mm -hmm. kind of a nice combination. Yeah. Now you have another role in the summer that you play mm -hmm. for the Snarl and Valentine Reserve. Snarl being the Sierra Nevada Aquatic 
Research Laboratory. Perfect. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I practiced. So, yep. So I am the um, director of the outdoor education programs at the Valentine Eastern Sierra Reserve System here in the Eastern Sierra. And we have two campuses. One is this is SNARL, the Sierra Nevada Aquatic Research Lab, down across from the Green Church, if you're local. If not, it's about 10 miles outside of Town. Mammoth. <laughs> and um, that's 35 acres that um, we have our headquarters and our dorms and our offices and stuff there. Um, we have another campus in Mammoth. It's just 165 acres, the Valentine Reserve, which is a very special spot that is was set aside by the Valentine family, given in 1973 to the University of California, Santa Barbara, to be part of the reserve system. There are 39 reserves in California, and 17 of them are administered by Santa Barbara. Wow. Yep. Wow. I had no idea. I went to UCSB as an undergraduate. I had no idea they did this stuff. Yeah. So it's they were set aside originally for research um, so that students could have – that uh, different ecological areas could be protected so that students would always have a place to do research on oh, whatever their topic was. And that still is a big part of Valentine. We have researchers living there all summer mm-hmm. who are studying either on the campus or in the Sierras. Um, but they've expanded a little bit, particularly here, um, thanks to Leslie Dawson, who started the outdoor program, so that now we have way more outreach to the community. And we have mm-hmm. 2,000 kids come through there on their field trips, K through fifth grade. They come twice a year with their science curriculum. And then we have summer camps that happen, six weeks of summer camps for kids. Wow. And we also have public tours. Because the reserve is not open to the public, we like to provide everybody an opportunity to come see it. So we have tours um, throughout the summer that you can come on if you would like to see it. It's a really special place. Do the tours focus on different subject matter? We have some general tours, and then we have tours on the geology and the wildflowers Mm -hmm. and the history um, and the black bears, all all interesting. black bears. And we understand there are 14 bears living in Valentine Reserve right now. Well, so right now the bears are very active and they've been active in the daytime. And it's been a very Mm. unusual year in in the fact that we've been able to see bears in the in the daytime. Mm. And there's kind of maybe several reasons for that. But the the um, the fallout is it's really fun on the tours to see them. (laughs) (laughs) So we recommend coming. You might get to see a bear. What is the what is the normal public reaction when you encounter a bear on a tour? A lot of people who live in Mammoth are pretty familiar with it and they understand how to treat our bears. If mm-hmm. you get a non-local, they're sometimes a little bit afraid, but we usually do some good education mm-hmm. and prep so that they're not. Um, and um, yeah, most people are just super excited. I mean, we love the bears, right? Everybody yeah. loves the bears. It's true. They're it doesn't, just, yeah. it doesn't matter how long you've lived mm-hmm. here. Seeing a bear is an exciting, exciting thing when it happens. It, it, I always have found it like, humbling in a way like these are major animals that you often oh, only yeah. see on tv yep. in the, this day and age and so when you see one in real life you're like oh wow yeah i'm really just a human and that's a real bear with claws and yes maybe an appetite yeah, <laughs> yeah we live in there we live in a wild world here we just forget it some days <laughs> what's your favorite part of working there Oh my God, I love it. I totally love it. I love being outside. Um, that's my, my background was in outdoor education. So I just absolutely love being outside. Um, and I really enjoy the tours because I like to talk and I like to share that place. And I love kids. So I totally have fun just goofing around with the kids and doing camp. And so for me, the combination has been really great. And I've been learning the other sides of it, the logistical side, and that's been a challenge too. And it's nice to have a job where you feel challenged. You know, what's interesting to me about what you just said, Carol, is probably in the last four months, I've met three people with some degree of background in outdoor education. Mm -hmm. I didn't really know much about outdoor education as kind of like a career or an educational path. 
what kind of training or what did you do to kind of get you on this path? Yeah, well, I was a bookie person, so I majored mm-hmm. in history. So mm-hmm. <laughs> that didn't get me on the path. <laughs> but I always loved camping and being outside. And so I just ended up like answering an advertisement in the paper back in the day when we used to look for jobs in a paper. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. And it was an outdoor education job in Washington, D.C., where we took kids out and worked on a ropes course. And I was totally in love then. Oh then I just gosh. looked for those jobs. Cool. That's great. Yeah. How would people find out about, how would our listeners find out more about Snarl and the Valentine Reserve? So you can go, um, you, in Google, you can put Valentine Reserve, Eastern Sierra, and you will get our website. I can give you the website, but it's kind of long, so okay. it's almost we'll, easier just to say. We'll post it on Perfect. our, um, in our show notes and on our Instagram page. and right. Perfect. And you can email me with any questions, but our, our website shows all of the programs that we do. We also do lectures in the spring that are free down at Snarl that are all different kinds of topics, science topics. So, And those um, are in that little green church right off the highway, right? Actually, now we have a building that, um, that the, the Page Center that was um, donated and built. It's a totally environmentally friendly um, oh, wow. building that's at Snarl. So we have Very a little cool. more space that's and a little awesome. more air. Air. <laughs> it's a green church kind of small. <laughs> yeah, it gets, gets stuffy in there, I remember. Yeah. Great. Well, thank you, Carol. Thank you for joining us. You're welcome, and thanks yeah. for having me. Really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. So, and thank you, listeners, for listening to another episode of OxygenStarved.com, where you get your ABCs, adventure books and conversation, at 11,000 feet? 11,000 feet. 11,053, actually, is the summit of Mammoth Mountain. You know what? Um, we talked about the elevation of the Obsidian Dome earlier in the podcast. Carol, let's put you on the spot. What's the elevation of the Valentine Reserve? 8,100, 8, something like that. <laughs> a little over 8,000. Good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that's correct. But at any rate, anyone visiting from outside the area who's not acclimated to high altitude adventures should probably take it a little bit easier, bring some water. Take it easy your first Don't couple rush. of days. Take it right. easy your first couple of days. Um, But yeah, thanks. Follow us on Instagram, on Facebook. And what's our website? Our website is oxygenstarvedpodcast.com. All right. Until next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Have a great week. So listeners, we made a a little error. A newbie error. And hit the button too soon. Hit the pause button too soon. Before we got to ask Carol what she's reading. I just finished the book Leaving the Witness by Amber Scora, and she is a person who left the Jehovah's Witness. She was in China at the time um, doing um, proselytizing in China, and it's about her um, leaving that community and and how challenging that was and um, pretty interesting memoir. And um, now I'm moving on to Kent Newburn's book, um, Neither Wolf Nor Dog, and this is a book that's been... um, uh, recommended to me many, many times, and I keep not wanting to read it because I know that it's hard. It's hard to face some of those things that happened early in our um, world. So, um, but it's just gotten such great reviews. I feel like I need to read it. I think so. one of the June Lake friends recommended mm-hmm. Kent's books um, in their yes, in the I think so we too. Putting yeah. together, so I'd be interested to hear what you think about yeah. this book after you're done with it. Yeah. Do you read a lot of like nonfiction memoirs? I read almost all nonfiction, um, and I, I I work on trying to read novels. When people really recommend them, I'll read them. But I'm definitely a nonfiction person, and I love memoirs and just how people kind of deal with this crazy world we live in. Yeah. <laughs> yes. We just we just reviewed or discussed uh, Michelle Obama's memoir okay. Becoming in our last episode and. 
I enjoy memoirs a lot mm-hmm. as yeah, well. Yeah, totally. Learn a lot. It also sure. learn through other people's mistakes and other people's yeah. experiences, right? And it yeah. also just kind of reminds us that there are people doing very different things than what we do during the course of the day. Kind of like what we just learned from you earlier in the conversation. You have Absolutely. a very unique role. So great. Yep. Well, thank you. Yep. Appreciate Sorry it. about that, Carol. Thanks for listening to Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod. Incompetech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.